0: Lord, thank you for this portion of Scripture. It may seem insignificant to some, but all the ramifications are until this day. We just thank you for the lessons that you'd have us to learn from this. We know that These things were written for our examples and for our learning. And help us to glean from thy holy word what our brother might bring out today. By thy spirit, O God, would you anoint him in such a powerful way. Lord, that we would feel the pillars of this room shake. That your spirit, O God, would be unleashed. It, it, help us, Lord, to not come here with a familiar spirit, like, "Oh, we're just going to church. Let's get this hour over with." It, Lord, please meet. There are some in here today with with carrying burdens and trials that are probably too sensitive to pray out loud. But meet with Thy people, O oh God. Meet with us in such a way. We need you, Lord. As I said, you're passing through Southbridge today. Help us to reach out and touch, just touch the hem of your garment. Might we be blessed. Might you visit with us, Lord, today. It's your, it's your company we desire to have. Warm our hearts. Help us to enthrone you upon our hearts this morning. And might you be Honored and glorified in, in, in a special way through the, through the preaching, through the prayers, through the wonderful hymns that have been sung, Lord. We just ask it all for your honor and glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Could you
1: turn to the book of Galatians chapter four? while you're doing that i want to say uh thank you on the behalf of adams many of you had brought some uh clothing items and other things for adam and of course there was abundance of them so he shared them with some of his afghanistan refugee friends so uh, there's a lot of gratitude to all of you that were able to contribute to that to that effort okay galatians chapter 4 we're going to read at verse 21 and following tell me You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Doesn't that sound familiar? What were we just reading about? But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery, that is Jerusalem, with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will, one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman hath shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His word. I have something to say to you. Let me give myself and yourself some advice in listening to a sermon and in giving a sermon. There's three things that are important to me in delivering a message. One is I want to be faithful to the text. I want to... I want to connect the verses, not only among themselves, but within the whole context of the the, the book that I'm reading in. That's what's called expository preaching. The second thing is to provide illustrations or examples, both in Scripture and in everyday life, that could highlight some of the points that Scriptures are bringing out. And then the last thing would be application. What can be drawn from the text that can impact me? These are the three things that a preacher should aim for. And all of you brothers that will be up here, uh, or have been up here, or will be up here, think about these three things. Expository preaching of the word illustrations to highlight the portions of the word and then application how we put it into effect in our life and I hope I can hit those points and I hope that you can go away saying he preached expositorily, he gave illustrations and he gave us application that's a big burden and that's a big task so for you and for me so may the Lord bless his word to you and me as well as we go through the scriptures here verse 21 tell me you who desire to be under the law Do you not listen to the law? So there obviously was an element of people in Galatia who had a strong conviction that they wanted to go under the law. They wanted to become Judaized. They wanted to become Jewish, if you will, and observe all of the commands and all of the ordinances that had been given from Mount Sinai and following. Paul is saying to them, Do you hear what the law says? Do you get it? You know, when the children of Israel were um, under the judges, and Samuel was the first judge, and his successors were going to be his sons, but his sons were not walking for the Lord at all. They were bringing dishonor in the Lord. The nation of people were being concerned with Samuel's successors. Those two boys were very, very unseemly candidates for becoming judges or leaders in the family of Israel. So what, is, what does Samuel do? Samuel goes to the Lord and pleads with him, With him, Lord, what am I going to do? They want to have a king so that they can be like the nations. He says, listen to them, but protest solemnly. And he goes back to them and he says, okay, you want to be under a king like the nations? This is what's going to happen to you. The king's going to make your sons to become chariot riders. He's going to plow. They're going to plow up ground for you, for the king. They're going to work in his field. They're going to have to make war instruments. Your daughters are going to become cooks and bakers and cleaning maids. He's going to take your fields and the fruits from your property. He's going to take your servants, your flock and your donkeys and you will be his slaves. You want to be like the nations? You want to have a king? This is what it's going to be like. Paul is saying something similar. You want to put yourself under the law? Do you realize what the implications are of putting yourself under the law? And so then he gives us an example of that. I get a strange phone call uh, early, I think it was maybe last Sunday night actually. One of the big football games was on and my brother called me from Sarasota, Florida. And I pick up the phone, hi. He says, you're on speakerphone right now. And there's a bunch of people in the room and we have a question for you. I'm like, oh boy, this is a tough one. So, okay, what is it? He says, one of the guys here went to a Catholic mass this morning. Uh, it was held outside, but it was very windy and a little chilly. So they canceled the mass. The question that he has, we're asking you is, Did he get any credit from God for that? How would you answer that one? I said, well, I had to think quick on my feet, and I'm not good at that. I said, well, God doesn't take attendance, number one. And I said, secondly, the only way you can get credit with God is by the merits of Jesus Christ, by repenting and put faith in Him and trusting Him alone as your Lord and Savior of your life. He says, okay, thank you, have a good night. (laughs) That conversation ended quickly. But, you know, people have that kind of concept about God, and, you know, did I get any credit for this? Don't I earn something that will appeal to God? Won't He be satisfied with what I do? I mean, I wanted to go to Mass. I was there. I got up early to attend. But the priest called the service off. So shouldn't I get some credit for that? I really... I know it was tongue-in-cheek, but I really think there was some seriousness behind it that the person that did go with his wife, I suppose, had that kind of response to, what do you think God thought of me going? That was a pretty good thing that I did. Hopefully he's going to take note of that. Well, anyway, that's kind of the spirit that's behind an attitude of like wanting to be under the law, sort of gaining some credentials that will gain you approval to God. Now, Paul gives us The reasons why those who want to be under the law need to be cautious, need to take heed, need to listen up. What does it say? What does the Torah, the word law, of course, is our English translation of the word Torah, which is a big word in Jewish vocabulary. It stands for the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch as it's known. That was sort of like the core of Judaism, the Torah. Still is today among some Jews, although there's no possibility really of abiding by the Torah today because they are temple-less. They don't have a temple. So much of the requirements that were put upon the Jewish nation required a place of sacrifice for animals to be slain and blood to be shed. And that was eliminated, as you know, years later under (coughs) the Roman Romans when they invaded Jerusalem and wiped out all that possibility. And ever since then, really Judaism is not a functional religion, you could say. So anyway, Paul wants to explain to them who want to be under the law, do you really know what it's saying? So he goes on to tell him, or them rather, it is written that Abraham had two sons, a slave woman, and one by a free woman. The son of a slave was according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman... And it goes right through these different reasons why they need to take heed to whether or not they should really put themselves under the law. And if we go through all of this, we would discover, and I, I hope you've paid attention to the text... I hope even better that you may have read it in advance of coming, as you can count on next week of, of Galatians chapter five verse one to I believe verse twelve will be the next segment for the preaching of the word. So in this section here, we have a lot of tools that I want to draw to your attention. We have Isaac, we have Ishmael, we have born uh, one like Isaac born of promise. Ishmael, born of flesh. We have a free woman. We have a bond woman. We have Jerusalem. We've got Sinai. We've got freedom. We've got bondage. we got the Jerusalem below, that now is, and the Jerusalem that is above. That's another one. And then you've got an old covenant, and you've got a new covenant. That's all right here. You've got the contrast between the twos, that were just mentioned, and Paul is saying, do you understand what the law says? Listen to what it says. And under inspiration he gives an understanding about how one interprets the Old Testament. We must be careful too how we interpret the Old Testament, or I should say comment on it or utilize it for our sakes in the New Testament, we don't in any way discredit the Old Testament. We don't look down on the Old Testament. Whatever was written aforetime was written for our learning. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, old, new, or otherwise. From Genesis to Revelation, we believe that all of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore it must be rightly divided so that we can know what's applicable to us. We don't have an altar, so we know that that's not applicable applicable to us there are other things that are applicable to us certainly many of the things of the book of proverbs of the Psalms, even in the torah undoubtedly but there are things that were just passing transient we're now advanced beyond that so let's look at these a little bit uh, more carefully born of the promise or of the spirit it says in It both ways, versus born of the flesh. You know, the promise was made to Abraham that he was going to be a father of many nations. He was going to bless the nations from one of the offsprings of Abraham. And therefore, Abraham's expectation was, since that promise was given to him, that he, with his wife, Sarah, legitimately, together, even though they were aged, God promises that you're going to have an offspring that's going to be a blessing. Well, he waited and waited and waited, and they both knew about this promise. And then, as our brother was reading before, it was suggested to Abraham by his wife Sarah, because they were childless, to go into Hagar, and through her, let her be the surrogate mother for a child for us. And of course, that was a mistake on Abraham's part, to have listened to that suggestion by Sarah. But he does. And we know nothing but trouble comes as a result of it. And it's not a put down on you ladies when you give your husband some advice. I'm not saying to discount that brothers. That's not the point here. It's Abraham was not listening to the Lord. He was promising them that they would have a child. And yet she came up with a suggestion. Abraham erred just like Adam did listening to Eve. It's sort of almost a a reflection of the same sort of thought here. So we have born of the flesh versus born of the Spirit. Ishmael is one that's born after the flesh naturally. The reason why Isaac is classified as being a child of promise, we already discussed that, but also a child of the Spirit was because it was a supernatural Not like a virgin birth, but a supernatural event that would take place that a woman 90 years old from a man that was almost 100 years old that there would be a conception in the womb that they would have a child. That had to be a miracle. But that was the promise of God. All the promises of God in Christ are yea and in Him amen to the glory of God. Nothing could have changed that, but they didn't have the patience to wait on it, and they came up with another alternative. And that birth of Ishmael is considered, according to Genesis, a birth after the flesh versus the birth of Isaacs, which was amazing that a woman at 90 years old conceived and had a child. And there's now, we know, conflict that's going to go on between the child of promise, child of the Spirit, Child of the flesh. If you have children in your your home, your house, one saved and one isn't, or some are saved and some aren't, there's going to be some friction there. That's to be expected. The spiritual man discerns all things, but they that are in the natural, that are in the flesh, they're not going to understand these things. Two are going to be against three and three against two, Jesus said, in a household. Because there are going to be some that may be born of the Spirit and some that may only be born of the flesh. And therefore, there's going to be that friction and that clashing. And that, of course, happens in in uh, our, the history of the book of Genesis. So, born of the Spirit. What does Paul mean here? about to the, How does that apply to the Galatians? Remember, he said in chapter 3, in verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect through the flesh? How would they be perfected through the flesh? Those that wanted to put themselves under the law thought that that if they could somehow abide by some of the Judaistic practices, that that would sort of purify them or perfect them or improve their religious status. Paul is saying absolutely not. In verse 14 he says the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive what the promise of the Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. We are the true children of Abraham who have exercised faith in Christ Jesus. The natural seed, they are discounted. Ishmael is not classified as in the spiritual lineage of the family of God that Abraham had the promise about. Now in this contrast, as I mentioned all the difference too, Differences: the free woman, the bond woman; Jerusalem, Sinai, freedom, bondage; Jerusalem above, Jerusalem below; the two covenants; the the birth of a, of the promised child versus the one of the flesh; Isaac and Ishmael. All of these two, obviously, is bringing out a strict contrast between the ones in the in Galatia that want to be under the law. Versus those that may, maybe in Galatia, but the majority it appears, were the ones that wanted to be under the law. There may have been some that really understood the gospel and would not go in that direction. And I think Paul is trying to unify them in that way. We we mentioned last week in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says about them of whom, talking about the Galatians, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul is speaking as if he's a surrogate mother himself, bearing them in hopes that there would be maturity in growth. And then in chapter four, who is he hoping to surrogate these children for? So when they, they're fully developed, he's going to be able to present them to the mother, the true mother of freedom, the mother that is from above the Jerusalem. That they're heavenly minded. That their occupation is with the things above, not in the things that are below. That they would switch their allegiance from one mountain to another mountain, as it were. From Hagar to Sarah. This is vital. Freedom versus bondage. You have not received the spirit of bondage, it says in Romans 8.15, but you have received the spirit of liberty, whereby we cry, there it is again, Abba, Father. Those that don't have the Spirit can't rightfully call God their Father. That's, there, there's no instinctive response to God. And if you can think of your pre-converted days, maybe you were a praying person, you'd have to ask yourself, that. That I used to pray? Be, I did. My prayers were stale. They were hollow. They were regimented. They were regular. You're so ob- ob- obligatory. And there was no... Sensation, there was no engaging really in God himself out of communion, but still trying to keep sort of a, a law allegiance towards Him. I said my prayers tonight, I said to our Father, I said this, or I said that, or I said something before I went to bed that sort of sort of can pacify my my conscience. You see, our service should be motivated by love a love relationship with God and not a coercion by law rules. In the chapter, uh, uh, earlier in the chapter, he's talking about you have received the Spirit that cries, Abba, Father. And that's what really is the motivator for us to live the way we live is because we're, we're brought into the family. I have a uh, my first cousin adopted a child from overseas, her and her husband. This is back 30-something years ago. They paid... Thirty thousand no, dollars. No, yeah, I think it was thirty thousand dollars to purchase a child for adoption. But think of the price that the Lord had to pay to adopt us into his family. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life what amazingness there is in this gospel message that we who were strangers to grace and to God alienated from the life of God by the ignorance that were, what was in us we were far off we weren't part of the commonwealth of Israel or the promises made to Israel but God grafts us in into His family we are now adopted and our lifestyle has been altered towards God We probably weren't atheists before we were born again, likely. But you must admit there has been a radical change since your conversion. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's, I think, the background of this portion of Scripture. The relational aspect to our belonging to God and how that functions. Jerusalem... In Sinai, Hagar Corresponds Now we we might not have made this connection. Just like Nicodemus didn't make the connection when Jesus said, Are you a master in Israel? A teacher in Israel? And don't you understand what things? About being born again? I don't I don't get it. Don't you go you telling me you gotta go back into my mother's womb? He wasn't getting it. So too, with us as well, we may not possibly be reading the bible correctly the old testament and that would have been the case here with the galatians don't you hear what the law says don't you realize what the torah is saying don't you know about hagar and her birthing ishmael versus isaac coming from sarah and what these speak of you know there's an attraction to go to sinai because Sinai has all the rules. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, etc. It's very understandable why we would think naturally that's what we must do to gain acceptance and have salvation from God in a justifiable way. Like the hymn writer put it, put it this way, indignant justice stood in view to Sinai's fiery mount I flew But justice cried with frowning face saying, this mountain is no hiding place. That mountain was a mountain that was to be feared. When God came down, it came down in a fiery way with smoke. And there's a pic, a picture, so to speak, of the mountain. And Paul saying to the Galatians, who's your mother? Is it Sinai or is it the Jerusalem that is from above, which is our mother? Your mother, our mother. And what, what an expression to describe Jerusalem above as our mother. Why is that? It says in James 1.18, Of his own will begat he us by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the word of God birthed us. How did that happen? Born of the Spirit with life from above. You have the new birth. It's another kind of birth. There's one that's a birth from below. There's another birth that's a birth from above. We have reason to see the Spirit that comes from above and our communion with God is a communion that is heavenly. It tells us in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. That Greek word for citizenship is our word politics. Our politics are in heaven. That is our primary home. That is our headquarters. That is where we get our instructions from the heaven that is above. The Jerusalem which is above versus the Jerusalem that is below, which is what? In bondage with her children. No wonder Jesus prays in Luke twenty-one forty-four, 44. Is it, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He looked over the city and he wept over it. Matthew 23, 37, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that stonest the prophets and killest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together under my wings? But you have not. You would not. Jerusalem was in bondage. They didn't see the Moses coming down the pike. They didn't see Jesus as their deliverer. Jerusalem, I've come as Moses. I have proven to you by signs and wonders and mighty deeds by the words from my lips, but you've rejected me. Moses, they didn't. Uh, Ultimately, they went with him. But with Jesus, the greater than Moses had come, the true bondage freer, they did not heed. Our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, Paul travailed in birth as a surrogate mother to deliver his children over to their mother Jerusalem for the fullest possible freedom that could be had. How, how, how often or, how, or, or have you ever thought of the fact that as Jerusalem above, not to be confused with the Jerusalem below. Obviously this is metaphorical language. There's not actually a city, physical city up there that's kind of signaling us from there to us. But rather it's indicating to us that that is where we draw our communion. That's what we draw our life from. It's based on The mother who we draw the nourishment from, the Jerusalem above. What does Jerusalem mean? It means a city of peace. It's a city of freedom. It's the apple of God's eye. That's what we have before God in the eyes of the Lord. Now there's a tricky verse here that I've stumbled over many times. Verse 27. It says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. It's obvious that this is being used for Paul to talk about the Ishmaelites versus the Isaacites, if you will. The The two offsprings of the two women and I don't have the time to go into the details I'd like to read for you a commentary on that and I will just summarize by saying that the, that verse is taken from Isaiah 54 in verse 1 where Paul is talking about Israel that was desolate for the time without a husband as it were they were dry, there was no fruit of the womb going on among them they were exiled, they were out of the country but then they return and there's a flourishing and Paul's using this language to say that's that's the new birth that's the freedom that's the liberty that God has brought us into so that we can experience the things that are from above and not the things that are from below so I didn't mention and I think this is probably one of the most important contrasts comparison and contrast would be the two covenants he mentions that that these are the two covenants one from Mount Sinai and then the other one which is from the Jerusalem that is from above, or we could say there was a, a law-living covenant, and there was a spirit-living covenant. Ones that want to go back to Sinai, even a mount that could not be touched, even if a beast tried to get through, it would be, th- it would be killed immediately. None could hear the voice of God and not tremble. Fire and smoke and thunder shook the earth. It wasn't a very, easy environment to withstand and yet people still think the Ten Commandments are the way to go the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ it's not graduation point right there that's only a a school that's saying go next door go to a higher level we're not the final stop the law was pointing you ahead Christ is the end the goal the telos of the law The law was saying, not me, him, not I, Christ. The law living person is one who's in bondage. And that bondage is a bondage that comes from without. But a spirit living person has a life of liberty that springs from within. Out of their inmost part shall flow rivers of living water. That's the reality of a a true believer. It's a heart believing. It's not a flesh following. In one under the law, it's self-control. One under spirit is spirit controlled. Under the law is coercion. Under the spirit, there's conviction. Under the law, there's compunction. Under the spirit, there is communion. Under the law, it's a grudge. Under the Spirit, it's a pleasure. Under the law, it's religion. In the Spirit or under the Spirit, it's a relationship. Under the law, it's obligation. In Christianity, and I can, I can probably put it that way, the law, under the law would be Judaism. Under the Spirit would be Christianity. Under Judaism, Those that want to go back to the law, that's obligation. For those that have been set free have entered into the relationship with the living God that are able to call God Father. That is the most intimate expression that can be spoken on our lips. Abba, Daddy, Father. We have in both Testaments a reference to loving your neighbor. In the Old Testament, they were were expected to do that. They were required to do that. That's kind of the difference in a way. One is required, the other one is expected. If you're born again, there's certain things that are going to mock you out. It's just the evidence that you've been born again. Paul says, I don't have to say anything about you Thessalonians. Your faith is spread abroad everywhere and from you sounds out the word of the Lord so when you get converted a smile comes on your face a cheer fills your heart a joy that didn't have before comes out of you that's the miracle of the new birth love your neighbor yes in the new covenant it takes on a much richer and deeper meaning than under the old covenant economy could we get up a sl- the next slide on this- oh there, there it is thank you <laughs> oh, they're ahead of me or trying to get me to finish maybe uh, <laughs> Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. I know you all know this, I hope. Behold, the days are coming. Of course, this is futuristic. We're talking about our current era. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now this is the difference between a new covenant person and an old covenant person. Or one who's under the law or one who's under grace. As it goes on to say here, I will put my law... Within them, right here, and I will write in, write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. How? By the miracle of the new birth, that salvation that individuals have personally, from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember this sin no more. So that verse right there is indicating that the old covenant that Israel and the people of God in the Old Testament were under was only temporary. I will form a new covenant, a second covenant, which is a greater covenant, a better covenant, the book of Hebrews tells us. In Ezekiel 36, and this is an important verse, because it tells you something about what is it that springs out of us, that creates in us a desire to follow the Lord. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, if if it's a bunch of laws that you have to follow, it's questionable whether or not you really understand the gospel. This is so important to Christian living. Look at Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and this is a big word and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We are not lawless people. We do not ignore God's statutes or His word. If you love me, keep my commandments. We're not disobedient to the commandments. We don't ignore them or dismiss them because we've been saved or we're in the new covenant. No, the purpose of God saving us in the new covenant is that He has put the Spirit within us. So the only covenant people that God has now are those that have the Spirit of God, that have been born again, that are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And by God having saved us, He installed within us The motor, the energy, the desire. I will cause them, cause you to walk in my statute, cause you, or another translation says, move you, move you in that direction so that you want to keep his statutes and obey his rules. Like I said, we're not doing it out of compunction. We're doing it out of conviction. Lord, teach me thy ways. Help me to hide thy word within my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the Christian life. It's not all regulative by law keeping. So look at the next verse in 1 John 2, uh, verse 7 and 8. I think this kind of highlights it. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you had from the beginning. Love your neighbor as yourself, for instance. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 1 John 2, 7 and 8. He's saying, I'm not writing an old commandment to you but at the same time he's saying, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. How do you figure that out? It's not an easy verse but I think what I'm saying is the tenor of what this verse means. That... There is, a, so to speak, a power punch now that has been created in the life of believers so that there's a desire that we would not have naturally. And this is one of the ways in which we can prove to ourselves as we examine ourselves is, are we following the Lord because we are under some kind of a legalistic requirement set of rules that we have to be following? Do we have a laundry list of what I should be doing It's instinctive. Spiritual instinct comes with the new birth. So that I know now that it's wrong. I know that my brother and sister, I, I feel a communion with them. I feel a love for them. I feel a bond with them that I wouldn't have otherwise. That's the miracle of the new birth. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope that you see that this whole portion can be really sort of summarized, again, going back to I think the central verse in the book of Galatians is 2.20. What does it say there? Does anybody remember how that starts? Most very important verse. Somebody shout it out. Christ. Yes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Not, not by works, not by self-efforts, but by faith. Faith is that hidden power of energy that gives you the desire to want to follow Him. And you know what it's like when you feel like you've let the Lord down, and we do, I do, I'm sure, every day, and that's, there's that sense of like mm, conviction and guilt that comes upon you, because you know better God has installed you with the desire to want to follow Him and love Him and live for Him. But we sometimes let interferences come, on, come our way and they hinder us from a full pursuit of the Lord. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. The life that I now live in the flesh, in the flesh that's in His body, I don't live in the flesh like an Ishmael. Light would live in the flesh. A natural versus a supernatural. May the Lord bless His Word. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You have...